0: Hello and welcome to Cities to Love, a podcast tour of our favorite records from our favorite cities.
1: I am Hayden Merrick and I'm in Brighton in the United Kingdom.
0: I'm Taylor Ruckel and I'm in Arlington, Virginia.
1: In this episode, Cities to Love invites you to come on Feel the Illinois, because we're talking about Chicago. If you're looking for musical landmarks here, you've got your pick. We've got Chicago Blues.
0: Muddy Waters, Willie Dixon, Howlin' Wolf.
1: We've got the 80s punk scene.
0: Screeching Weasel, Naked Ray Gun.
1: The huge alternative and indie rock wave in the 90s.
0: Smashing Pumpkins, Liz Phair, Jesus Lizard, Veruca Salt, Shellac.
1: (laughs) You've got your pick of landmark rappers.
0: Common, Lupe Fiasco, Chance, Open Mike Eagle.
1: You've got Lollapalooza, Pitchfork Fest, Riot Fest. You've got a youth DIY scene just breaking out.
0: More on that later.
1: Indeed. What's your experience with Chicago, Taylor?
0: Well, my teenage years were shaped heavily by Chicago pop punk. I'm talking about Rise Against. I'm talking about Alkaline Trio, Fallout Boy, obviously, as we've discussed. I've seen John Hughes movies. I've seen High Fidelity. I've seen The Bear. But Hayden, you've actually been to Chicago. So you've got a leg up on me this week in a pretty major way.
1: I, I have been Chicago. I love the city very very much um I actually went this year in well depending on when this drops I went in 2023, in, 2023. <laughs> in March of 2023 um and when I told everyone I was going they were like oh for St. Paddy's Day right and I was like so, when's St. Paddy's Day <laughs> but it turns out <laughs> I was there for St. Paddy's Day and the, the river was indeed green
0: you got to see the green river that's so exciting not the I green did, river yeah. that's a real river that's the name of an actual river i mean the river in chicago <laughs> that they die green not the you, you know we, you get yep. it
1: uh it's just such such a cool city i feel like it lives up to all those cliches that we talk about in the john hughes movies in high fidelity the like grotty punk clubs and the blues bars and it was, it was snowing Taylor, which from being by the sea is just very romantic. We don't get snow very often. Um, my winter coat broke the zip on my coat broke and it was really cold. So I was, I was like walking around like department stores looking for coats. Coats are expensive.
0: Yeah, (laughs) seriously. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you really broke that one in though. That's, that's real, that's real Chicago stuff. I feel like I would be remiss if I did not mention that if you want to read more about Hayden Merrick's Adventures in Chicago, there's a very good Bandcamp Daily piece about a Stereolab song that also concerns, you know, quite a bit of that. So uh, go look that up, people.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's that's a specific thing there. Stereolab song, Chicago, but it it's, yeah, it works. Um, it works. Thank you. It definitely You're works. you were very generous with your shout outs. But... Um, Sterilab, of course, not from Chicago. There are loads of bands that are from Chicago. We've just listed, I'd say, probably half of them.
0: And just think, people, we're not talking about any of those in this episode. So prepare yourselves, because there is so much. There is so much. (laughs) That is wild. To follow along with our focus tracks, check out the Cities to Love playlist on Spotify and YouTube. You can find links in the episode description.
1: I'm very excited for the first band we are talking about, and this is your pick. Why don't you tell everyone what we're starting off with, something classic.
0: Yes, my classic pick is An Alphabet of Polythology, the 1998 compilation by foundational Midwest emo band, Cap'n Jazz.
1: Bravo on the pronunciation.
0: I practiced.
1: I'm sure you did. I knew you would have. (laughs) So you're going for... An alphabet of polythology, I I didn't practice enough. So we're not going to make people track down the highly elusive, out-of-print burritos album that goes for thousands of dollars then.
0: Sorry, sorry, Hayden, are you referring to the debut Cap'n Jazz album, which I feel the need to point out is titled... Burritos, inspiration point, fork balloon sports, cards in the spokes, automatic biographies, kites, kung fu trophies, banana peels we've slipped on, and eggshells we've tippy toed over?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the one.
0: <laughs> that's the that's... one. Take a big deep breath after you say that one.
1: Were they yeah. like the <laughs> first or you know, did this thing of super long names for albums and songs start here, or is it already a thing? Oh, there
0: must have been some, you know, with the 60s, there was some weird psychedelic stuff happening. You know, there was some some long album titles back then. I wish I could. Yeah, I wish I could could pull some off the top of my head, but I don't have it right now.
1: Well, no, that's putting you on the spot.
0: I just know there was some uh, or maybe some some of that, you know, 80s no wave stuff. I'm sure there were some long album titles there, (laughs) you know, like they they can't have invented that, but they are masters of the form, I would say.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned fallout boy like that's who i'm thinking of in particular (laughs) that's a
0: chicago yeah it's a chicago lineage of long album titles and Mm -hmm. uh song titles i guess but uh so anyway much needed context here cap and jazz formed in 1989 in the suburbs of chicago we don't usually do full band lineups when we're introing records but i think it's warranted here just because of well you'll see It's Tim Kinsella on vocals, his brother Mike on drums, Davey Von Bolin and Victor Villarreal on guitars, Sam Zurich on bass. They meet, they start performing together in high school, and this group of 16 to 18 year olds starts playing some of the most wild, elemental, force of nature, post-hardcore punk ever made by anyone. It's unbridled catharsis. It's lyrics so abstract, they loop back around to being personal. It's Unbelievable for some great early years material on this band like live videos of these kids lots of baby pictures from ma kinsella you've got to check out the documentary it's called your war parentheses i'm one of you it's on youtube it's mostly about the band joan of arc but it has so much early cap and jazz stuff i have to shout it out here
1: and it also has ma kinsella telling everyone that she baked a cake for fugazi was it a cake
0: Yes, it was a banana cake. It was It's like my favorite anecdote, she says, so proudly. And, yeah. and she never got her pan back, she says, but she never asked for her pan back. So, you know. Bugazi, yeah. <laughs> uh... not, not the perfect principled lads you've le- been re- led to believe. They didn't give exactly. the pan back from that cake. But uh, anyway, an alphabet of polythology. This record is a compilation of almost everything this band ever recorded. And it's just such a massive touchstone for so much punk rock that followed. Like, it's hard to talk about this band without also talking about the entire history of emo, if you excuse the digression here. We alluded a little bit to this in our DC episode, but in the mid-80s, a lot of the hardcore scene in DC, as founded by bands like Bad Brains and Minor Threat, went through this big philosophical shift, became a bit more introspective, though the hardcore punk foundation is still very present. You start to get bands like Rites of Spring, Embrace, that kind of thing. And it spreads from D.C. to the Midwest in the 90s and along the way kind of blends with a lot of indie rock and math rock that's happening. And that's where you get Cap'n Jazz and you get the second wave more broadly, which is also called Midwest emo kind of interchangeably. Tim Kinsella has said that at the time Cap'n Jazz didn't think of themselves as an emo band, which historically (laughs) is probably a good indicator. You might be an emo band, but, you know, from here they play a huge role in shaping the genre. As the members of Cap and Jazz split and recombine in other projects, we get foundational bands like The Promise Ring, American Football, Joan of Arc, and so on.
1: Yeah, the the amount of bands that formed from Cap and Jazz Ashes or their sinking is yeah. is really something. Uh, I like this um, just a short line from Ian Cohen's retrospective on the album with the with the name that we all know what the name is
0: <laughs> actually um, so is, maybe we should point out the album with the long name also gets called and schmaz a lot so from here on out we'll just call it and schmaz
1: that's easy that's not yeah, that's so... not easier to
0: say actually that's a that's quite a combination of consonants but we're gonna Shmappin work through and it and schmaz
1: uh, yeah i'll be slightly more at home with and schmaz okay um unless i said it wrong then but yeah we've uh we've mentioned ian kern before but he's you know he's the goat of emo he says, every project that has flowed from Captain Jazz ever since is part of a symbiotic feedback loop that amplifies the legend of Cap'n Jazz. Mm. I've actually, Taylor, if I may, compiled yeah. a short playlist <laughs> of, uh, I've, I've titled it Real Emo. Oh, okay. I don't know if it is correct, that title, so I need your help.
0: I see what's happening here. I also, in the very here.
1: first episode, when we talked about DC, you said real emo in with a really long E, and that's yeah. that's why I was inspired. So, <laughs> I'm going to throw some bands at you, and you tell me if they're emo.
0: Okay, I'm ready. Out me as the poser that I am.
1: Okay, let's start with big boys. American football. Okay.
0: Obviously emo.
1: Okay, good.
0: <laughs> I've passed the first test.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Algernon Cadwallader. I don't know if Absolutely. I said that
0: right. Absolutely. Emo. I've always said Cad will ladder, but I, I can't vouch for the the. That of That sounds
1: better. Okay. <laughs> let's get, let's go out of the Midwest. We might okay. have already, actually. I don't know where they're from. Sunny Day Real Estate.
0: <laughs> Ooh, yes. Emo.
1: Okay. Good. Good work. Foxing.
0: Foxing is definitely emo. Um, okay.
1: So far, this playlist is checking it's all emo. out. It's yeah. factual. All right. I got a couple of um, a couple of ones that, that might split the room. The Get Up Kids.
0: Uh not a band I'm as familiar with, but as often as I see them on R slash emo, I'm gonna say yes.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. And and finally, Don Caballero.
0: Ooh, not a band I know anything about. Uh I'm gonna say because I don't know I've never heard the name before, and because everything's been emo so far, solely on those two data points, I'm going to say not emo.
1: I think a lot of people would agree with you because, <laughs> I mean, they don't have vocals; they're an instrumental band. But their guitar parts, I think, are very uh, what we think of as emo. Okay. But anyway, we're all about digressions right now. When we're so, done
0: here, I'm gonna need to get in some some Don Caballero.
1: Yeah, they're great. They're a great listen. But um, you you wanted to um highlight a quote from another writer that we both admire, right?
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this as we talk about what what emo is. In our DC episode, we had a quote from the great Chicago music writer, Jessica Hopper, where she referred to that first wave, the Revolution Summer stuff from DC, as emo in its visceral pre-commercial form. We'd have to, of course, ask her where she would classify Captain Jazz from that angle. But Hayden, what do you think? Are we still in that paradigm of uh, visceral pre-commercial emo?
1: Right, yeah, I think yes. But it's also the most reliable stepping stone towards the commercial form it's like a more of a boat than a stepping stone
0: my knee-jerk reaction is also yes but there are big melodic hardcore vibes here there are some tracks that foreshadow the genre at large shifting into pop punk influences um later stuff on this compilation especially from eps they put out uh i think we're we're seeing sort of the the framework of what's to come
1: yeah and actually it's worth noting that this compilation is kind of a godsend like we take it for granted now but i think when this came out a wave of collective relief just swept across the emo (laughs) community i guess beginning in the in the midwest probably spreading out from there but like their the Schmapp and schmaz album until then was impossible to get your hands on i think and and this is everything apart from the caveat the footnote apart from one song everything they ever did apart from one song which is called naive apparently
0: yeah i looked it up that's that one song is on a 1993 compilation called octung chicago's vi which you can actually find online right now at Dupage County dupagecountyhardcore.bandcamp.com so that is listenable right now so mm. thank goodness for the internet as it is now you know lots of problems with it but you can still get "Aktung chicago's vi so it's not <laughs> all bad
1: yeah totally it's uh it's easy to point us to anth and anth- the anthology as yeah a starting point for emo and also kind of as an end point like all roads lead back it's like in a you know it's a it's a loop y in like a, a horror movie where you you turn left and then you're back at the start like you'll always find your way here uh and you know it doesn't get better than this.
0: No, it's really cool because that, so Schmapp and Schmaz comes out in 95. This compilation comes out, I want to say, I think I wrote down, 98, yes. Yeah. And uh, it still sounds as impactful, as relevant as it ever did. There's a great quote I wanted to bring up from the documentary we talked about, and it's, it's from the Rockford, Illinois singer-songwriter Riley Walker. And what he says about Captain Jazz is, before anybody heard Black Sabbath, they heard and Jazz. When you're from Illinois and you're kind of a freak and you don't want to throw a football at somebody 20 yards away, you listen to and Jazz. That was religion. That was Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, man. That's how you get into music. It's not even nostalgia. It's completely relevant today. Brilliant. And it's kind of like, it's sort of a dynamic, like what we talked about with Black Dots in our first episode. That was this very regional phenomenon. It's, it's an opportunity now that this compilation exists and has been more widely distributed and is available on streaming, you can get in on this regional phenomenon you previously just had to be there for. The, the difference, of course, being that Bad Brains had this decades-long career releasing other records. You could more or less get anywhere, and this and Jazz compilation is all there is.
1: Yeah. And they didn't do much, like, uh, they, they weren't around for very long, right? And they split up only a few months after Schmapp and Schmaz. Um, right in the documentary, you mentioned it, uh, as you know, they recount the story of the guitarist, Victor Villarreal, um, who overdosed in the van, in the tour van. He was, uh, big into his drugs at the time and they all woke up covered in his pee and took him to the hospital and then decided to call it quits the very next day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, really harrowing story. They tell this story in the documentary. Tim talks about just seeing Vic's eyes go different directions in the van and screaming and Vic talks about, you know, being so deep in this this episode and and feeling like he was dreaming watching Tim scream and it's it's awful stuff.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of these bands, these really special bands have those legendary stories in a way that add to the yeah, the mystique or whatever.
0: There is so much mythology and so much legend about this band and they've become such a a touchstone hayden how did you first get into cap and jazz what was the the pointer for you to get here
1: well like <laughs> so we're, we're sort of alluding to the fact that there are these bands that you find and they just unlock whole worlds and we're alluding to cap jazz as being that band for me that band was admittedly american football um ah. Pre meme days, pre reunion though, <laughs> I will say. So I still of have course. some.
0: I'm, I would never doubt your emo cred, Hayden.
1: Thank you. Um, and then yeah. So obviously, I don't know if we've explicitly said, but Mike Kinsella of the frontman of American Football is the drummer of Captain Jazz. So I found I found that, and then work backwards, and then yeah, you also get to like you mentioned Promise Ring, um, which is yes. one of Davey the Davey von Bolin. yeah. And then Owls, which is pretty much the same lineup minus Davey, I think. Um, yeah. And then all these other bands, Joan of Arc, Braid, uh, Reina, Maria, etc. And then, yeah, the, the fourth wave or the revival wave, Modern Baseball, um, even episode one is Origami Angel, right? I can see yes, a bit of that yeah. going on. You get a bunch of genres for the price of one, basically. And I've only experienced that a few times in my life. How how about you? How did you find this band?
0: Uh, Super weird sort of path to it. Like for me, it was getting into Hop Along, the great Philly indie rock band, and then finding out that one of their guitarists had also been in the emo revival band, Algernon Cadillader, as we mentioned earlier. Mm. Uh, As an aside, I have to shout out Pablo Cabrera, whose band Ultimate Overshare wrote the theme song to this podcast because he's the one who told me about Algernon. Uh, From there, it's a straight line. You can't read anything about algernon without getting to cap and jazz they were a huge influence it wasn't easy to pick a featured track from this compilation because as we said it's so comprehensive and hayden said i wasn't allowed to pick the cap and jazz cover of take (laughs) on me so that made it a little bit harder in the end i went with (laughs) i went on i went with the song in the clear in the end from uh and Schmaz because it, I think it neatly showcases all the band's best qualities that we've talked about, and because there's this section in the middle where the instrumental cuts out and Tim Kinsella screams the alphabet. It's all that first wave passion, energy, and all the screwball abstraction that's unique to cap and Jazz, all kind of summed up in a few seconds. It's emo as abstract expressionism.
1: Hey now. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I don't know the rest of the words. Um, fun fact, Tim Kinsella was jessica hopper the aforementioned jessica hopper's editor at featherproof for her um first collection of criticism by a living female rock critic anthology which is yes our bible um pretty much yeah it's like the punk to publish a pipeline that i am also unwittingly (laughs) now doing so that's that's reassuring for me (laughs) i'm gonna be i'm gonna form a great band next and be
0: You're going to do it in reverse. You're going to do the reverse Kinsella.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they call it.
0: Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 19, In the Clear, by Cap'n Jazz. Hayden, a lot of times when we look at our classic picks, we'll try to unearth some of these lesser-known hidden gems, but other times it's sort of impossible not to pick the one people know you're going to pick so why don't you tell me about something classic
1: (laughs) yeah that's a nice way of saying dude your pick is really obvious (laughs) no (laughs) no i did i yeah i agonized over this but this is just the chicago album and it's a very special album to me and to yeah lots of people it's wilco's yankee hotel foxtrot of course it is from 2002 (laughs) but also kind of from 2001 um We'll get Yeah, it's
0: complicated. We'll get into that. This is a certified Chicago classic. I am on record not really liking this album, but I'm very excited to look at the context of it and to hear your thoughts about it as a fan.
1: Okay, well, you asked for it, so here goes. This album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, is sandwiched in the middle of a three-album run from Wilco that people tend to point to as being the band's apex so you may be familiar with the record summer teeth yes which came out just before i want to say 99 um which i double checked but that's kind of the first one to break from this rootsy sound that carried over from jeff tweedy's previous band uncle Tupelo, and then you've got a ghost is born after yankee hotel Foxtrot and This period, these three albums, is kind of more experimental and noisy than the Wilco we know, or I know, and love today. Um, (laughs) We've got longer songs, we've got tape loops, organs, samples, but we'll get a bit more into that later. Um, Part of this experimental period is due to Jay Bennett, that avant-garde multi-instrumentalist foil to Tweedy, Uh, And Tweedy's tender pop sensibilities, which even so had become increasingly abstract by this period. Mm. But um, yeah, this guy Bennett was heavily involved with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot as he was with Summer Teeth. And, you know, this is the documentary episode because there's a great doc on this album um, called I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, a film about Wilco. Yes. And uh tensions were high around this time so Jay Bennett actually gets kicked out the band by Jeff Tweedy at the end of making this record. You've seen it. He kind of comes across like he had it come in, right?
0: <laughs> I would say he's he seems pretty difficult in the studio in this in this <laughs> documentary for sure. Yeah, I watched this movie. Uh really really enjoyed it. Jay Bennett seems difficult. He does say some very insightful things though. For instance, there's a point in the movie the band is in the studio. Jeff Tweedy's not there. They're arguing about drum sounds. Jay Bennett says, if the overall song feels good to you, you're going to fall in love with the little parts of it that are fucked up. <laughs> and it seems like something in the moment, he says, to kind of steamroll the argument and sort of, you know, push through the disagreement they're having. But mm-hmm. I do think there's some wisdom in that. And I also think it gets at what a lot of people love about this record, which we might get into a little bit more further on. It's it's I just have to say yeah great documentary. It's right up there with Metallica's Some Kind of Monster in the pantheon of great dysfunctional band documentaries. <laughs> it's so cool to see behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, it's all totally black and white. It takes place in Wilco's loft. Um, mm. There's a scene in which Jeff Tweedy goes and vomits in the bathroom because he's <laughs> so stressed. Uh, yeah, and he he says <laughs> he just shrugs it off. He's like, ah, oh, did this all the time when I was growing up um but yeah so it's really cool to see this the wilco loft i don't know if you're familiar with this but the band has this like hq with just an absolute cornucopia of instruments and guitars amps since like absolutely everything you could ever need to make a record it has its own instagram page where they just like once a day just post a picture of some random item man. like here's a here's a xylophone that we use for like four seconds <laughs> in like man the late 90s or whatever this is the first album made here um but they go on to make most of the other records here so it's kind of interesting in that way too like this is a new beginning in a way
0: yeah it's kind of the dream to have this dedicated practice in studio space with this like just dragon's horde of cool sound, cool sound making stuff. This is, this is, this is my dream. there's, there's a lot of those bands I feel like that came up on some major label money in the, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, and then ultimately broke from their labels and, and got to sort of build their own little spaces to work out of. It's the coolest thing to me.
1: Yeah. I think the only thing cooler or maybe not quite as cool (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, I'll say the only thing cooler than that would be the dream writing assignment, which is you get sent to the Wilco loft to do an in-person profile with them. Um, I don't know if any publication has that kind of money anymore, but you know know where to find me. (laughs) I,
0: I suspect not, but that would be, yeah, I agree with you. That would be the coolest thing ever. So the headline of that spiel about kind of
1: situating this in there discography is that this album is pretty much unanimously considered their best um you know it's got a 10 on pitchfork and it's got a story around it that just adds to its allure and um you know the story's being covered to death but the tldr is that they do they get dropped from their major label um the major label lets them walk away with the record scot-free because they don't want to release it the label doesn't want to release it that is so Wilco shop it around for a while but eventually they just like fuck it and they just leak it online um (laughs) and it's then purchased by Nonesuch Records and is officially released in 2002 but I, I yeah yeah.
0: This is one of those cases where a band gets dropped by their label and then picked up by a subsidiary of the same label. It's one of those weird mm. record industry phenomena.
1: Yeah, really strange. Yeah. um, a- a- As well, like compounding that there's all this inadvertent 9-11 imagery and this yeah. came out like right after that. And, you know, there's a song called Ashes of American Flags. We've got the lyric, Tool Building, Shake from jesus etc yeah we got the not the but we've got twin towers on the cover um right. and you know speaking of which i don't know if you've read christaville's Stereogum retrospective on this but it's just wonderful and the whole like the first four paragraphs are exclusively pretty much about the buildings on the cover um which are called marina city in chicago also known as the Corn Cob. um <laughs> just standing stoically against a sparse background on the cover art. You know, if I may, having been to Chicago, I will say that nothing beats gazing up at those buildings while listening to the opening cacophony of this album and those those first acoustic chords that start to come into into focus out of the the ashes, really, of the intro
0: yeah so you've done that you've been there and you've you've listened to the song and looked and seen
1: yeah just like a just like the middle class white sad person I am it's got to be done
0: (laughs) as an aside here I, I do have to say for me one of the coolest parts of the movie is seeing them perform for the hometown crowd it's juxtaposed Immediately before this scene in the movie, they're playing at this like it looks like a county fair kind of audience where there's maybe ten people mm. in the bleachers watching and then it cuts to them in Chicago playing for the hometown crowd it's Chicago skyline in the background. You see all these buildings that we're talking about, and uh massive packed crowd all the way to the river and it's just a really really stunning shot. A lot of the live performances in this movie are just stellar, yeah, it's such a
1: such a photogenic place. I feel like it's almost winning you over so far, Taylor.
0: (laughs) I want to like this album so badly. And uh, yeah, like I said, seeing the live performances on this uh, really gave me a different perspective and and really got me into this in a way I did not expect. Well, if you're
1: you're nearly there, I'll tell you what I like about it uh, and see if that helps Wilco's case at all or helps Yankee Hotel Foxtrot case. So you mentioned the Jay Bennett quote about... Um, you know, if the overall song feels good, you're going to fall in love with all these little parts of it that are fucked up. And yeah, like that is kind of what I like about it. It is really fucked up, like it's fucked up pop songs. It's a really delicate precipice between the noise and the pop. And that's like what gets my motor running, I think. So <laughs> there are rootsy, catchy, accessible songs, but The band deliberately deconstructed them. You know, they pulled them apart completely and rebuilt them, but not all the way. So they're still kind of hidden under, you know, like feedback and uh, samples that are looped and almost like atonal moments in there. Um, And, you know, the shards and the splinters are all the more attractive because they aren't you know rebuilt it's like that the cliche that i feel like i've seen i've read like 10 times in music reviews is of that uh style of pottery where you smash it and then you build it back with like gold paint or something yeah yeah but that is sort of very apt for yankee hotel foxtrot Um, you're
0: talking about kintsugi
1: thank you that's the
0: japanese the japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold i'm reading from wikipedia now (laughs) it
1: sounds like wikipedia yeah and the name of a death cab for cutie album actually as well yes um but yeah so whereas a a more modern day wilco album um with the exception of their very newest one um but the wilco that's been in place since maybe 2007 are just pretty much guitar drums bass piano Uh but on here we've got some more left field instruments. Um, we've got tuned bronze or brass discs called crow tails cr- or crow tails, um, which are one of the first things we hear on the record. Um, I mentioned like synths and organs, all these things. There's also a um, something called the Recordings of Shortwave Numbers Stations, which is where yes. we get the phonetic alphabet samples to give the album its name uh, and a Yankee. clip from this.
0: yeah Hotel. <laughs> Foxtrot.
1: That's it, yeah. That's during the song Poor Places.
0: Enough about the uh, the sound of this record, though, Hayden. I want to know about how this record makes you feel. <laughs> what is it about this record emotionally that appeals? Where does it hit you?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, can I let Christopher Ville answer that one? Because I'm feeling <laughs> cagey. You
0: know, We're not going to do better than Chris DeVille. Let's hear what Chris DeVille says.
1: Thank you. He says, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is an album for all hours and all seasons. It sounds incredible at dawn and at dusk, during afternoon barbecues and after midnight drives, in the oppressive heat of summer and the bitter depths of winter, and those glorious transitional phases in between, when the air is crisp with possibility. Crisp, not crisp. When I'm happy, it elevates my joy. When I'm sad, it accentuates my melancholy. It is the movie I can put on in the background because I've seen it a million times, but can just as easily end up immersed in all over again. I didn't have to revisit it to write this retrospective because I've never really stopped listening to it. And that's me too. I, I honestly do listen to this album like once a week. It's really great. For, for you, is there a, what, what song is the nearest to getting you on side?
0: Yeah, you know... Even though I'm not a Wilco fan, some of their stuff is truly undeniable. Jesus Etc. to me is, uh, you know, if I can quote the music podcast queen Yassi Saleh, a goddamn gorgeous, beautiful song. I, I can take nothing away from that you song. i I've like had that, that song.
1: More. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I've had that song in my head since we talked about doing this episode. Truly unimpeachable. You know, but if I was going to ask you to highlight a track from this record, how would you even pick one?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting with G's etc. because like that one is obviously an undeniably beautiful goddamn gorgeous song. But um I saw Wilco at End of the Road Festival back in uh at the end of August and one of the guys I was with was also not a Wilco fan. He was in your on your side, but he even for him, the exception was Jesus, etc. And when that came on, he yeah. was like, "Okay, I'm feeling it," you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, yeah. I mean, if I'd say if you're not a Wilco fan, maybe go Jesus, etc. But for me, <laughs> my favorite song is the opener and the song that gave the documentary its name, and that is called "I'm Trying to Break Your Heart." And yeah. it just it just has. All the, it just has those ebbs and flows. I, I can't think of a better expression, but it really does build up and down, and it's got a great middle eight section with some kind of honking piano, like honky tonky <laughs> piano, not honking. Yeah. Um, and at the end, it just completely like just disintegrates and it's just like fuck it and just you know falls apart. It's it's a goddamn gorgeous, beautiful song.
0: Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play a track 20. I am trying to break your heart by Wilco.
1: Taylor, a lot's happened since 2002. Um, I mean, a lot happened last year, even in Chicago, in Chicagoland uh, and beyond. But yeah, is there anything up to the minute that we can point listeners to, to say Chicago is still just as relevant as it was when those tall buildings shook.
0: (laughs) I think there is no shortage of things we could bring up here. I want to take us down kind of a, uh, a different road here. We've had some hip hop crossover influence on this podcast before, but I think my current pick for Chicago is our show's first rap record. Is that right? Do you I think, think that that is say? yeah,
1: that is right. Yeah, it's our first rap record.
0: As we have alluded to, Chicago has a very rich hip hop history. For the last decade or so, a lot of the conversation and association with Chicago has been about drill music, which is a whole subgenre that is still on my personal homework syllabus. But I wanted to talk about something that I do have some familiarity with, and it's going to feel like I'm cheating a little bit. Because we're going to spend some time in Virginia here. I'm sorry. <laughs> no,
1: that's the wrong state. I mean, that's not a state, but you know what I mean.
0: My current pick. My current pick is a record called Beloved Paradise Jazz by the rapper and band leader McKinley Dixon. And right off the bat with, with McKinley Dixon, moving around the country is pretty central to his story. He was born in Annapolis, Maryland which is just about an hour up the road from where I am right now in Arlington. He grew up splitting time between there and between Jamaica, Queens in New York. And then he went to college in Richmond, Virginia, which is where he started releasing music, getting involved with the local scene there. There's all kinds of stuff going on in Richmond. There's rappers like Alfred. There's indie rock artists like Lucy Dacus. There's a lot, a lot going on in Richmond. He actually said in an interview with our mutual editor Mike Lesur of Flood Magazine that his first ever live show was at Lucy Davis's house, where he was rapping over beats while a friend of his played saxophone.
1: Wow, have they have they collabed yet? Because that needs to happen.
0: I don't think so. I know she did a Bandcamp feature where she gave some of her favorite current records, oh. and she shouted out McKinley Dixon. They went to school together, I think. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I don't. I don't think there has been a collab, but that would be amazing. Mm. Keep an eye out.
1: Is this, is this his, his first album? How many records has he had?
0: This is actually, if I have my math right, I'm pretty sure this is his fourth record. He's released a trilogy of albums, actually, in the pattern of Toni Morrison's Beloved trilogy, which consists of the novels Beloved, Jazz, and Paradise, and which were meant to mirror Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy. So McKinley Dixon pays tribute to that with his own trilogy, the first record being Who Taught You to Hate Yourself, the second one being The Importance of Self-Belief, and the third being For My Mama and Anyone Who Look Like Her. And now he's iterating on that trilogy and also referencing back to it with his fourth record, which is actually called Beloved Paradise Jazz.
1: That's such a clever album title. I really love that because not only does it nod to the novel, but it's also like describing the music kind of, or, you know, it's beloved. It's paradise. Is it jazz?
0: Maybe. Is it jazz? There's a question question mark mark in the album title, which I love. This is an album that McKinley Dixon put out after moving to Chicago. Usually the narrative is of a band or an artist moving to Nashville or New York or LA. I thought it was interesting that we have a story here of somebody going to Chicago to make music.
1: Yeah, it's got like thirty percent of the world's fresh water supply. Just a th- stone's throw away, so <laughs> I guess that's going to be increasingly common. Not saying that's yeah, why he moved. There's many reasons to move to Chicago. I mean, I love it, but yeah, there's water. There's the water. Don't
0: lie. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of water. It's also possible that this is a way more common narrative than I even know about, and that if there are any Chicago folks listening right now, they're just rolling their eyes at me. Anyway. <laughs> i wanted to dig more into that move talking about it with um paper magazine earlier this year dixon said i think that with richmond i hit a peak it's really great to live there and it's provided me with this comfort, but didn't allow me to really want to push myself i think everybody around me was in that same mindset it was hard to travel it was hard to pay rent in a city like that it was sleepier and quieter case in point he spent years working on the record that came before this one and he recorded it piecemeal at home and on tour with his whole host of collaborators that, you know, connected over time. He made Beloved Paradise Jazz in about eight months and recorded it in a week, so massively different timescale.
1: I love when an album is recorded in a real short space of time and you can tell because it just sounds like, you know, one sitting, it doesn't sound scattered. and Right, and labored over.
0: So the story is that he went back to Richmond to record this album at a studio called Space Bomb. And again, it feels like I'm cheating here because of all these Virginia (laughs) ties. But I think he makes it really clear in interviews that it was the creative energy and the community of living in Chicago that made this album possible at all. To take another quote from that paper interview about Chicago, he says, Everybody has something to do and everybody has money to make. The urgency of my raps is equivalent to the urgency of the community that I'm in. But to illustrate sort of where this record is coming from, it opens with Hanif Abduraki, who is, of course, the great poet, critic, and music historian, reading from Toni Morrison's Jazz. And the passage that he chooses, because I, I, do, I do believe he chose it himself, the passage is about Harlem, but it also speaks to Dixon's relationship to Chicago. I think in particular about the line, A city like this one makes me dream tall and feel in on things.
1: Love that quote.
0: He says in an interview with paste about that particular section Hanif Abdurraqib does that specific excerpt is one of my favorite stretches in Morrison's writing because it does a thing that I think she does well it's maybe the best example of that where she's slowing down that form of writing that's like how can I make a scene feel like an entire universe that's what I feel like beloved paradise jazz is attempting
1: definitely counts as a Chicago record
0: definitely counts yeah me- me- and you know don't worry Thinking about exciting Chicago artists right now, I had to bring this up because what he's doing on the level of concept is so ambitious. And also there's so many really cool features on this record, bringing people together from different cities. I mentioned the Richmond rapper Alfred, who does appear on this record. Also, there's a collab with the Boston folk artist and Jim Lee. So another really cool genre crossover moment for this record. You've got hip hop and jazz and you've got folk singers.
1: Yeah, it could do the, the thing that... Captain Jazz did and kind of turn you onto to loads of other artists. I mean, I can see lots yeah. of threads to follow here being new to this record. Um, for someone like me who's less familiar, what's the what's a good track to start off with?
0: I wanted to point people to the first proper song on this record after the Henny Fibdurakib intro. It's a song called Sun I Rise. And I think it's, first of all, a great representative slice of McKinley Dixon's style. You have a beat that's built on live drums, orchestral strings, harps, chimes, the works. You have these very poetic verses. You have McKinley Dixon's super emotive flow. Like, I think you can pick any given verse on this record or any given record of his. And he always lands the last line just so. Hmm. And I get goosebumps every time. Angelica Garcia sings the hook on this track beautifully. And I think it's a good example also of what Hanif Abdurraqib is talking about in terms of making a scene feel like an entire universe. It's like an overture for the record. It kind of packs in everything that's going to then unfold as the record goes on. Yeah. But also, as some reviewers have noted about this record, I think it's great at doing things in the opposite direction, too. Like McKinley Dixon's last record, for my mama and anyone who looked like her, was longer, it was jazzier and more expansive, and this one's a lot more pop-oriented, and so it kind of feels like he's making an entire universe of sounds feel like a scene, if you know, in a possibly dense one. I think of it like if his last three records were this Dante-esque trilogy um, in the tradition of Toni Morrison, this one could be a Hieronymus Bosch triptych. those following along in the cities to love playlist we now invite you to play track 21 sun i rise by mckinley dixon there's also a lot of chicago music right now i think you could put more in the lineage of wilco that we've been talking about and so hayden why don't you tell me about something else current
1: yes um wilco is a good reference point for this band i think they Release an album this year as well. Same year as McKinley Dixon, 2023. The band is Rat Boys. The album is The Window. Yeah. We love Rat Boys. Um, it's been a big year for Chicago, you know? Have you seen those memes on Twitter? Yeah. Like, Chicago is so cool, I wish it was real.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
1: um, and, yeah, concurrently, really good year for Rat Boys. Like... I feel like this band has been a bit of a slow burn success. This is album number five, I believe. But it feels like the one that made a lot more people sit up and take note uh, at last. You know, it also feels like the one where they really nailed down their personal voice. The front woman, Julia Steiner, told Loud and Quiet that this feels like our first full band record. Hmm. I think you're the same as me, Taylor. I came on board around... The album GN or Printer's Devil, that kind of era. Um, yeah. But those albums definitely feel kind of less focused, maybe is the word. Whereas this one gets it right. It's what Rap Boys are meant to sound like.
0: I think that's right on. Yeah, I tried out this band around when Printer's Devil came out and I had this distinct sense that this was a band I should be into. Like, the elements were all there, and for some reason it just didn't quite click. And this record, not an issue at all. First listen, right away, like, yes, we're here. This is this is it. I'm a Rat Boys fan now.
1: It's funny, because even though you said all the elements were there, it's not even so much that this album smooths them out. Like, it has a lot of very different yeah. songs. We've got the protracted, proggy guitar freakouts alongside shimmering, tender folk songs with fiddles. We've got lolloping yeah. country and shiny punk pop. We've got the song "Morning Zoo," which may be the happiest sounding piece of music I've heard this year.
0: We've got speaking of the fiddles, that that song is really one where I I got on board with this record. I think
1: yeah, uh, you gotta love a fiddle. We've also we've got motherfucking Chris Waller. <laughs> we've got Chris Waller, and thus a really cogent, complimentary production aesthetic to make everything make. As much sense as it could, you know, even though it made sense already. But Chris Wallace makes everything make even more sense.
0: Ferris repeating one more time Mother fucking Chris Walla people. I do not think we talk enough about his influence on the sound of indie rock as a member of Death Cab, as the producer of Death Cab, as the producer of records for the Decemberists and Tegan and Sarah. And he also produced Foxing's Nearer My God. So emo connection, emo mentioned, it's all it all comes back. Everything's everything's a circle here.
1: I didn't know he did Foxing. That's yeah. What a CB, that man. For me, I feel like I don't know what you think. The window, this album by rat boys uh-huh. it's kind of the yin to rats or gods yang rats or god being yeah. the album out this year by the band wednesday like the window is the friendlier more accessible take on alt country indebted to wilco and the like but wednesday are embracing the southern gothic aesthetic and overall more menacing and like the gritty realism style you know they're raymond carver Rap Boys is like Laurie Moore or something.
0: Oh, that's that's good. That's good. We're getting into some uh, some literary <laughs> references. You know, the both albums came out
1: this year. They both got an epic eight-minute song, um, that, but both of those songs are, are very, very different. Uh, both albums grounded, as I said, in old country. They Both bands have got a handful of an, albums under their belts. They both flew out the traps this year. Like, yeah, there are so many parallels. Uh, Personally, I'm more at home with Rat Boys, but I feel like you could have guessed that. Huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it definitely feels like they're more of a you kind of band. I I think this is a really good observation. Like when I think about the album covers, even Ratsaw God has that big splash of red across the bottom. And this one is that washed out dusky blue all over it. Um, I'm not surprised to hear you come down on the Ratboy side, like I said. And it's probably not a surprise to you that I'm in the same place, despite technically being a Southerner. I have nothing bad to say about Wednesday at all. Um, For me, it's just that the conversation in the press around Rat Saw God got a little obnoxious. Um, Either way, though, this record is more my speed, much more of an everyday listening kind of deal for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, When we think about pandemic albums and songs and we are slightly sick of doing that. Uh, A track like (laughs) The Window, the title track here, offers the other side of what we often see, which is, you know, the aimless days spent inside experimenting thing. Like, this is the other side of the pandemic, and it's an interesting thing to build a concept of a record around. And I'm talking about The Window and how it focuses on that. A window as being something so crucial yeah. and significant, um, you know, significant enough to name a whole album after. Like the story here is that the lyrics of this song are verbatim, things that uh Julie Julia Steiner's grandfather said to his dying wife through a window, like, come on, that is mm. that's it's tough, it's a tough listen, that title track. Like I was, you know, lucky enough to have a drama free pandemic, but these are the stories that I feel I connect with more and maybe the ones that come to light a little while later because they're harder to process and package and, you know, thus we're getting them in 2023 instead of the the initial like deluge of this is what I made when I was inside in Castle Letters.
0: (laughs) There's, and at the same time, they're smaller stories than you know the the news trends that we get for when things are happening in real time. You know, you get a lot of figures and you get a lot of um, bird's eye view of things from from various media outlets while we're in the thick of things. And I feel like it takes a long time for these kinds of stories to sort of trickle out afterwards. Mm. The COVID era has been such a messy, such a devastating time. I feel like we're going to be processing it forever this way. You alluded to the ways in which. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is tied up in how people think about 9-11, the tenor of that social shift after the turn of the millennium. The scale of death and social upheaval involved with COVID is so much larger. It's hard to speculate on what music is going to end up, you know, what music is going to end up being the emblem of it, what we're going to think about when we think about this time. Um, I feel like we're in the middle of sorting that out. And uh, I feel like this record is definitely sort of, um, you know, working on that.
1: Yeah. That's really astute. I like that a lot. But, you know, this isn't I wouldn't call this having, you know, having said that, I wouldn't call this a pandemic album through and through. Like the window, the song is in particular, but it's probably not my favorite one. And I think not yours either, I would guess. Um, Yeah, there's like it's a nice ballad, poignant song, but there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. Um you pointed to Break as being one of your highlights. <laughs> and that initially kind of passed me by um actually.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where um it, it might have passed me by too, except that I have this Pavlovian response to bitcrush drums. <laughs> I hear those kick on in a song like Break and my ears sort of pick up and and swir- swivel around like a dog's ears yeah. every time. So I'm I'm actually incapable of of ignoring a song like break that one on my first listen was an instant fave
1: yeah well when you pointed out that that was one of your favorites i went back and really listened to the ones that i hadn't immediately latched onto, and that's how i decided that the song to highlight i think is the one called i want you parentheses full 2010 it's really adorable it's a super catchy song and crucially it Basks in the freedom of the other side of the window. You know, before we gave a shit mm. about Windows. Um, yeah. It also name checks another Chicago band that we haven't mentioned yet: Maps and Atlases. I don't know if you're a fan or familiar with them, but um, not familiar. The sound is kind of math rock adjacent, um, and there's a line about you know driving around listening to maps and atlases, and then there's this very deliberate scuttle of mathy kind of guitar. Which I think is a really Scuttle cool thing. Scuttle is a great touch. word for that. Yeah. You know, like the, a little, a few hammer ons and pull offs. and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I like that when the conversation, uh, it's almost like breaking the fourth wall or something. Not, not quite, yes. but yeah, maybe. But you know, that's the conceit of the song. The opening line is I could tell that we'd be friends from the first moment we walked around and started talking all about our favorite bands. Music. And friendship you know it's it's a sweet song and it's about julia and dave the front woman and the, the guitarist meeting at um the name of this university which you will not say how i think it's meant to be said <laughs> being
0: from notre dame hayden we call it notre dame, notre dame.
1: <laughs> it's, the only, it's the notre dame in in france but yeah um yeah This song is their origin story, and it's jubilant, and it's ebullient, and it's sweet as hell.
0: Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 22, I Want You, Fall 2010, by Rat Boys. Taylor, so we've
1: had our classic picks, we've had our current picks. Now it's time for the cool stuff that can be from any (laughs) era... But because we're, you know, we've always got our fingers on the button, buttons it tends to be current still. But
0: uh. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I had conceived of this category as being a little bit more comprehensive than it, it actually ends up in practice being. Really, we, we get a chance to pick something else that we're listening to right now that we love. And almost always that's something that's happening right now. Like, for example, <laughs> my cool pick for Chicago is a record by an artist called Namdi and the record is called Please Have a Seat and it came out last year in 2022. Namdi Obanaya is an indie pop solo artist and a founder of the Chicago indie label Super Records that's S O O P E R Super Records along with Sen Morimoto and Glenn Curran. Uh interesting to note, McKinley Dixon in one of those interviews uh, I talked about earlier cites Namdi and Super Records as notable Chicago music you know examples that inspired his move to the city. So there's a there's a real um, you know field of field of influence there. It's
1: not the the fresh water and the cheap rent after all, or cheaper rent.
0: It's not just the fresh water, no. but it's it's always kind of the fresh water. Namdi is a long serving staple of Chicago's DIY scene. He grew up in Lansing, Illinois, which is a suburb on the south side of the city. He's been musically active since at least 2006, playing in Bands like The Paramedics and Albatross as a drummer in his early years. In 2011, he and his brother started throwing DIY shows out of their parents' house, and they called this ad hoc venue Namdi's Pancake House. <laughs> uh, all kinds of local bands have played there. Apparently, Rat Boys even oh. have, uh, have played at Namdi's Pancake Good House point. in their time. I thought that was a fun fact. But Definitely. Nandi has been releasing solo records since 2013, pretty steadily building steam, critically and uh, in terms of popularity. He's played Pitchfork Fest. He's toured with Wilco. He's done a lot of the big deal Chicago stuff. You know, um, I should also mention that Slater Kinney was on that Wilco tour. So there's there's our contractually obligated <laughs> once an episode mention. Oh my God! There's always a connection. Brilliant. Alongside that, throughout this career of his, he's played in a huge range of other projects. He's played pop punk and screamo. He's played in ambient pop bands, and his solo stuff somehow encapsulates all of that. It's really genre diverse, and especially on the more recent stuff, he uses a lot of vocal processing effects that just add to this impression of him as a super dynamic artistic persona. He's almost like a cartoon character or something on some of these songs. He was once called Chicago's Weirdest Musician in a Vice article by Sean Newman. There's a lot of competition for that title, yeah, I bet. Yeah,
1: that is a real feat, that title.
0: I, I wanted to highlight this quote from that piece where Newman says that Namdi is, quote, Outrageously goofy and devastatingly emotional, all at the same time, with moments tiptoeing the line between hilarious carnivalesque chaos and others reflecting heavily in a hall of self-aware mirrors. That quote in isolation
1: could pretty much apply to Captain Jazz, I think, as well. Something in the water. Yeah, very. Like the maybe. Very fair point. Maybe like the combination of, you know, it's something like the second city mixed with the long melancholic winters. I like, uh, for example, one of the, the lyrics on this album is, I don't really want to be famous, I just want a million blue faces. And then he yells the word Smurf. <laughs> like, he's yes. he's having fun with this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on the song, uh, I Don't Want to Be Famous, there's all these um, ad-libs that are just fantastic. That song was like a, that was a single from this album, I think. And it was such a bizarre thing to make the single for this record because it's a great song. Um, and it's so not representative of most of what's on this mm-hmm. record. And it's just another way in which you know what he's doing is so interesting and so um, you know unpredictable Sean Newman in that quote was talking about the 2017 record Drool and even though in the years since then I think Nnamdi's music has gotten a lot slicker that quote is still true of please have a seat which I I have to point out is a record that was by the numbers my most listened to album of 2022 I have the last FM data to prove it wow
1: (laughs) I'm excited to see what it's going to be this year. Do you think it will still be the same?
0: <laughs> no, I don't think I've listened to this one as much as I did last year. But, um, I, I mean, it's definitely in the running. It's in my top 100 for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I wasn't familiar with Namdi before doing the research for this episode, but I really, really like this album a lot. Um, so I'm a bit disappointed in myself because there's so much stuff <laughs> out there that I'm missing. So I, I thank you for turning me on to it. Um how did you, you know, find this? What made you choose this one?
0: Well, out of his, you know, catalog and out of other records we might have talked about from other artists, I really, I liked this record because of how much it ties into the theme of our show. It's a record about a lot of things, but one of the biggest themes and the one that stands out the most to me is this feeling of restlessness. In a lot of ways, it's a record about trying to find a place you can be comfortable. It explores that idea through all these recurring motifs and and whatnot throughout the record. It starts in a really vulnerable place with the song, Ready to Run. The lyric that runs through my head is, Some days I wake up ready to run, I'll trade my place for somewhere to come When both my feet get heavy, A spot to rest and not worry at all about what's next. Mm. It's really heavy, and throughout the record, that idea of finding a spot to rest and not worry kind of resonates from the lowest rung on the hierarchy of needs all the way up. From song to song, that can be about physically having a safe place to be it can be about feeling secure in a relationship it can be about finding a comfortable tier of success as a musician and you know it can also be about finding a comfortable chair to sit in namdi makes this running gag out of all these furniture store jingles and mock commercials that are sandwiched between the songs so there's your outrageously goofy and devastatingly emotional you know to bring it back to that sean newman quote
1: nicely done nicely brought back
0: Thank you. It's abstract, I know. Um, There's only a few references that I catch to Chicago itself, like there's an area code shout out on the song Armoire. Um, But, you know, it's part of what we talk about when we talk about a sense of place. It's that sense of either being at home or longing to. And, you know, throughout the record also, I have to say that Namdi just has this amazing melodic sense really interesting chord progressions and harmonies in a way that reminds me of, I don't know, like Sufjan Stevens kind of at his weirdest, um, if that makes any sense. I can see that. He's the kind of artist that you listen to and you think like, oh, only he would come up with something like that, something that cool and weird and interesting.
1: Totally. I found that in particular with the track Anxious Eater, like the only he could have come up with this thing. It's yeah, You mentioned yeah. he played pop punk earlier and this the hook in the first like chorus although it doesn't repeat, but that feels very pop-punk. He sings this really simple guitar riff kind of melody, and then the song just totally goes off the rails, right? Like, in this yeah. scattershot direction, and he runs through so many different sections and never returns home, like, if you will. It's all over the place. Huh. yeah, yeah. There's something in that, I think,
0: but... Um, very good. Well played. Well played, Hayden. Thank you. yeah <laughs> uh, but you
1: know th- that's not um, that's not the song you're highlighting, right? What are you for us, Johnny Come Latelys? Yeah. What are you pointing to?
0: I think if you're trying to get into this record, you can't do much better than the song "Smartass." Uh, it's one of a handful of melodies on this record that just takes over my brain for days at a time. I also wanted to point to it because of the you know guitar on this track. Um, which I think has some Midwest emo influence. You can link back to you know Captain Jazz, American football, their descendants.
1: Yeah, I hear this too. The the sneaking L train must rub off on these axe magicians. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so dancey too. I love it. Like yeah, it, that it really is an earworm. In the... it's
0: that it's that mix of very catchy and very, um, you know, uh, kinetic, and also has this like kind of melancholic core to it that really like hits you hits Mm -hmm. home in the um the pitchfork review of this record please have a seat nina corcoran describes this song as being like owl city covering emergency and i which is another (laughs) one of those things where it's just like that's "That's it i'm not gonna say it i'm not gonna say it better than that Mm -hmm. mostly though i just need more people to hear this song because it is so catchy it makes me insane and so i just need everybody to know that when i'm in my kitchen making tea after work and it's three in the morning This is the song that I'm singing to myself. (laughs) You think you're so smart. Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 23, Smartass by Namdi. All right, Hayden, we got one more cool pick before we finish this thing off. I've heard there is a youth movement in Chicago, and I'm not talking about Connor Bedard going to the (laughs) Blackhawks. So nice. There was my one timely sports reference, folks. Maybe ever. So I hope you enjoyed it. But Hayden, please tell me about something cool.
1: (laughs) Of course. So, my cool pick is an album by the band Post Office Winter. And the album is called Music Box. Like your cool pick, it was also released in 2022. Um, Cool year. Cool year. Very cool year. And. Yeah, let's start off with a bit of context around this DIY youth scene. I think the band that most people point to as being the poster child of this maybe is Horse Girl. Uh you know they signed to Matador, they played Pitchfork Festival. They're out there kind of reaching the upper echelons of indie music stardom maybe, but um you know there's a lot of bands orbiting in their circle, bands like Frico and Lifeguard, who also recently signed to Matador, actually. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dual Troop and Post Office Winter. This collective calls themselves Hallow Gallo Kids, which is a noise song and it's also a zine that they work on. Um,
0: A scene after our own hearts, Hayden. Yeah,
1: and I wrote down here to fact check which way around this this was, but I, I couldn't find it, so I think... You know, the Hallow Gallo kids maybe name themselves after a zine, or maybe the zine came after, but either way, it's uh, Kai Slater of Dual Troop and Lifeguard who made the first issue of this zine. The drummer in his band, Lifeguard, Isaac Lowenstein, is related to Penelope Lowenstein from Horse Girl. So Aha, okay. There's a lot of connections here between these bands, but yeah, it's 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 this, the thing where, like, their mums and dads drive them to shows. They watch Sonic Youth videos online. They read Kim Gordon's memoir. They hmm. go to summer rock camps. Did you ever do one of these?
0: I never did, no. My sister did one of those, actually. So, yes, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the, yeah. the, the, the deal. They're a
1: great place to meet people and get jamming, if you will. That's what I did, how I got into, like, my first bands um, from a young age. But, yeah, there's a lot of cool profiles out there about this scene and they they lean on like the kim gordon memoir and the summer rock camps as being like the fuel on the fire or whatever yeah charlie johnston who's one half of post office winter attended one of these summer camps the old ta- sorry the old town school's summer camp at age eight um <laughs> which is just like whoa i don't even know if i could like hold anything let alone a guitar
0: i was gonna say hold a guitar or whatever yeah Yeah, that's
1: and that's where she met kai slater she says i was assigned ukulele and i was like i literally could not care less about whatever this is (laughs) (laughs) um but then i totally loved it and continued it she says um we were all like weirder and more quirky for our age we gravitated towards each other we didn't go to the same school but we saw each other through old town And this is from a Chicago Reader profile on the whole scene. Of course, it would be Chicago Reader, um, right?
0: Of course, it would be Chicago Reader. What do you think is the common thread or influence for this scene? Is there anything that connects them all musically?
1: Um, Yeah, I think a a thread would be in keeping with the kind of Chicago outlook, um, maybe. I'm not qualified to say that, but it's very unassuming and... (laughs) Unpretentious, which I think is something that very midwestern that way, yeah, very yeah. midwestern. Um, yeah, and musically, it's it is derived from those really influential um indie rock bands of the late 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, yeah, like I, I try to be careful when pointing at that because it's just so um
0: you don't want to pigeonhole them as like a nostalgia yeah like uh you know yeah you know because it is new and it is different and it is like unique to them what's happening it's not Mm. just it's not just the influences
1: yeah exactly to dig a little bit more into post office winter then uh the band is a duo it's made up of charlie johnston who is also in the band dual troop um and her friend her neighbor will huffman their sound is pretty ramshackle, like lo-fi, almost acid hmm. folk sounding stuff. Uh, there's really abstract lyrical imagery. There's a, They distort innocuous nursery rhyme kind of melodies. In this way, it sort of reminds me of the Moldy Peaches at times. Um,
0: mm, that's a really good call. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, as I mentioned, the album is Music Box from 2022. The whole thing, it's their second record, uh, incidentally. The whole thing really leans into the wintry imagery they established right from the band name. Like there's a hoisting your coat up around your ears while walking to school kind of energy. Uh, and the album, the music really telegraphs that feeling, like the feeling of remembering that winters used to be colder or something. There's, hmm. a, there's a longing, there's a coziness. And moreover, the word snow and the word snow globe appears in several Hmm. of the songs. And there's one on the cover, the album cover. (laughs) Um, In the (laughs) lyrics, we've got fuzzy mittens and raincoats. We've got cemeteries, heated blankets, beds of ice, silent rain. It's, It's a winter album through and through, in other words.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I keep a playlist specifically for when the weather starts getting chilly. Incidentally, this won't mean anything by the time this episode comes out. But this week, as of now, we're recording this is the week I switched over to that playlist and got the heated blanket out of the closet and, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. And the first time I heard the song Vale Chapel, I put it right on the playlist. This record is 100 percent the vibe.
1: Please send me that playlist afterwards, because that sounds <laughs> that sounds cozy. Yeah. Um, From a different Chicago Reader profile on Post Office Winter specifically, um, it says that they based their debut album, June Songs for a Scientist, on a series of stories they made up about a world of anthropomorphic animal characters. Sort of a Winnie the Pooh kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Johnson and Huffman say the stories are complicated and it's hard to tell what's going on in their lyrics. The main feeling you get from their mellow performances is coziness. So... Here's a passage of some lyrics to illustrate the point uh, about it being hard to know what's going on. Maybe you can... <laughs> uh, maybe maybe <laughs> you know what's happening here, but... So they sing... Taking time out of the day to draw gibberish on my gums. Speaking without thinking. Leaping to your side. Looking down at claws. My feet will keep me sane. Wild eyes corner me. Lock me inside, out, and swallow the key. That's from the first song on the album, the premiere... And yeah.
0: Yeah. I, okay. I take it back. Maybe Winnie the Pooh is not necessarily the, <laughs> the touchstone here. <laughs> um, in other words, on all this, there's something more concrete happening than like a cap and Jazz song, but only just. Mm. Yeah.
1: I think uh, it's also in a way there's something of the Wilco thing of like melody and beauty being mixed with just yeah. confusion and... Um, yes, you mentioned Vale Chapel. That's got the twinkling Glockenspiel and these poignant, plucky seventh seventh chords. It also takes place in a cemetery um, oh. and mourns something or someone. Um, it does have that funereal kind of sound.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought this up and that you are here to identify the specific music theory stuff. Because I was, as I was adding that to my playlist, I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, what is it about all the chords in this song that makes them feel so, like, chilly but also cozy and just like deep and all-encompassing that way? And it's the sevenths. It's always the sevenths. Yeah, it's
1: yeah. If you want that, it's the sevenths for sure.
0: The, for me, the
1: best song on the album is called "Window seas. and. We mentioned uh, this was the second window song of the episode, so uh, it's got to <laughs> be done. Um, it's lighter and more playful than Vale Chapel, starting with this goofy preset drum loop, like the ones that come built into those toy, hmm. children's toy keyboards sort of thing. Yeah, you, you ever have one of those?
0: No, there was always a toy guitar around the house. And, you know, I have to admit now to have spent my share of time as an adult looking at toy keyboard listings on <laughs> yeah. reverb. Um, I'm in fact might be on my way to go do this when we're done here, just because like it's such a cool sound, it's such a neat, unique singular thing. Mm.
1: Yeah, there's um just as an aside, there's an artist called Fan Club Wallet who does a lot with toy keyboards, and I really like the music that she makes. It has, I think, it has quite a lot in common with Pozoy's Winter in a way. But um, yeah, this song, everything after that kind of goofy toy sound intro everything kicks in with these really cool music concrete kind of sounds it could be cutlery or something and there's an acoustic guitar there's one
0: that sounds kind of like they're tapping on a mason jar or something yeah
1: i think yeah mason jar is a shout um you've also got an acoustic guitar that's slightly distorting which is maybe reminiscent of neutral milk hotel or something
0: i think i might agree with you on this being the best song on this record like everything you're talking about there's the toy keyboard there's the you know household sounds Um, It all just screams snow day to me. It's like you just went out in the cold and now you're back inside at the kitchen table (laughs) and you're warming your hands up on a mug of hot chocolate so you can mess around with the keyboards and, you know, get your fingers working again.
1: You really know how to paint a picture. I love that.
0: Those following along in the Cities to Love playlist, we now invite you to play track 24, Window Seas by Post Office Winter. We've
1: highlighted only six albums and, you know, we we have other places to be. We can't highlight everything. There are so many albums I love that were made in Chicago and or by bands from Chicago. Um, So many. So many. Any honorable mentions from your side?
0: Yeah. Well, you know that I love Beach Bunny. They're a big breakout Chicago band from the last few years. I've got to shout out that last Beach Bunny record I thought was superb. I have to give a big honorable mention to the self-titled record from a duo called Discussing the Sun, which blends fifth-wave emo and hip-hop and is an absolute must-listen. One half of the duo is based in Chicago, so counts. Also, (laughs) while we were making our outline for this episode, I just so happened to read Lester Bang's review of Otis Rush's 1956 to 1958 recordings, and I just got to say, wow, if you have any interest in the blues, get on that. If you don't have any interest in the blues get well soon, I guess. Um, I also realized so late, so late into the process of assembling this episode that I could have picked the album brick body kids, still daydream by open Mike Eagle, which is this excellent career defining concept album about the now demolished Robert Taylor housing projects in Chicago. We've even mentioned Open Mike Eagle before on this podcast and somehow it still slipped my mind completely. So I just want to get out in front of it and say, if we ever revisit Chicago, that's on my list. You can quote me on that.
1: And we totally could revisit Chicago. I mean, I've got a a few. There's the Math Rock Quartet Floaty, who I think demonstrate the lasting influence of Captain Jazz and the like. Um, There's the legendary Tortoise who I could easily have chosen for my classic pick, if not for my always itchy Wilco boner. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> finally, Suffian Stevens. That's how people say it in England, okay? Suffian Stevens and his <laughs> okay. magnificent concept album that we really probably definitely should have talked about, Illinois.
0: It's amazing that we didn't... It's actually amazing that we didn't bring it up that much.
1: I guess... Was it actually recorded in Chicago? Maybe, maybe not... Um, But yeah, it's it's, um, it's almost a a podcast in itself, that album, because every song is a a different story of Chicago. And it was recorded in Queens, so there we go. There you go. Disqualified.
0: Never mind. (laughs) I think the biggest honorable mention for me in this episode, without a doubt, is the Chicago Reader, which was such an incredible source digging into pretty much all of these records. I specifically have to shout out a piece I didn't quote from directly, but referenced quite a bit by Lior Galil about um emo midwest emo and sort of the revival um which was written as that was sort of just starting to to crest in the early 2010s go look that up if you're interested in the subject um really really great work being done
1: yeah i second that i think i uh watched a a video essay on emo and that and that piece was quoted a lot so where to next then taylor
0: next we're going a little bit closer to your neck of the woods and we're going to be talking about london england
1: that's a biggie and if you'll excuse me i just need to take this call i'm not sure who it is uh-huh. from oh hello wh- who could that be hello <laughs> oh <laughs> who, sorry who is it oh it's london london is oh, calling, London's calling. <laughs> wow london is calling we'll see you there
0: For more from the hosts of Cities to Love, check out the episode description, where you can find links to the Cities to Love playlist, as well as some of our other music writing work. Thanks to Ultimate Overshare for the use of Gotta Juice, which is our intro and outro music. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. This has been Cities to Love.